Listen for a word from God in Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in my Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me, so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, The one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The Word of God. Have you ever had your authority questioned? In my first year of ministry, I got called to work as a pastor in Orange Grove Seventh-day Adventist Church in the inner city of Johannesburg, South Africa, my birth country. I just graduated from Helderberg College with a theology degree, and I was excited to share all the new things that I had learned uh, at school. I had been at the congregation for about half a year, so we had time to get to know each other fairly well, and I decided that I'm going to preach a sermon on God's hospitality. But I went one step further and decided to make it an interactive sermon, some of these creative things we learned at college. I decided to take the concept or the structure of the Hebrew temple to demonstrate the levels of exclusion that existed there and in our society. You see, At the heart of the uh, Hebrew temple is the most holy place, yet the most holy place is the most inaccessible place. Only once a year, one person, the high priest, could access it. And so, as you look at the structure, at the very outer perimeter, you have the court of Gentiles, where only Gentiles were permitted. They could not get closer to the most holy place. And then you had these levels of exclusion. So it went from the court of the Gentiles to the court of women, where only Jewish women were allowed, uh, not Gentiles anymore. And then you had the court of Israel, where now only Jewish men were allowed, not Jewish women or Gentiles. And then you had the court of priests and the holy place, where only priests were allowed, not anybody else. And then once a year, you had... Uh, the high priest with access to the most holy place. And so you can see the closer you get to the most holy place, where God's unique presence is, access gets to be uh, more exclusive. And so I thought, this is a great idea to set up our 
church sanctuary to mimic uh, a Hebrew temple. And so during Sabbath school, where everybody was studying their, uh, their Sabbath school lessons, I took string and I strung it across uh, the sanctuary, creating these different rooms or these different courts of the Hebrew temple. So just in front of the pulpit, I uh, strung the string across and put a label up there that said, most holy place. Just behind the front row uh, of the pews, another string went across and I labeled it um, holy place. Uh, and then uh, the court of Israel, and then the court of women, and then the court of Gentiles. And so what we decided to do is that as worshipers come, they would get a card with all these categories, high priest, there was only one of those, um, priests, Jewish men, Jewish women, and Gentiles. And we would hand them, hand them out to people at random, and they would need to go sit in the designated court in the sanctuary. I decided to give all the Gentile cards to the youth. They normally would sit at the back, and often they feel excluded. So I thought, let's make the point uh, just by giving them the Gentile cards. So all the youth got the Gentile cards, but for everybody else, they got a random card. And so as I come into worship, I could get a card that says, priest. Uh, my spouse could get a card that says Jewish male. My child could get a card that says Jewish female. Uh, it was a great idea. I went to the elders room uh, to prepare for the sermon uh, and read. But pretty quickly, things got real tense. An elder came rushing into, uh, a deacon came rushing into the elders room quite upset. And when I inquired what was going on, and he said, people are upset. They don't want to be told where to sit. Go figure. People like to sit in the same spot. And another deacon came in and said, Pastor Devo, people don't want to be separated. They want to sit with their spouse or with their children or uh, with their friends. They want to sit together. And then a greeter came in and said, do we really want to force people to do this? It's not creating the most worshipful environment in the sanctuary. By now, my heart was racing, my jaw was clenched, I, my entire body was filled with tension. The congregation clearly objected to this young pastor of theirs messing with their worship traditions. The organist started the prelude, but all I could hear was the chattering of people over the organ. And then the head elder, Peter Landless, he came into the room, and I could just see the concern on his face. And I thought to myself, maybe I should just give up on this idea that I was so passionate about. Because the congregation clearly are not happy with me and don't agree with my decision to experiment with the worship service. Have you ever been uh, questioned about your authority? It's, it's a difficult thing. That's what's happening here in the letter to the Galatians. There are some people in the churches of Galatia who were questioning whether Paul, the apostle of this, the, the author of this letter, was in a legitimate authority on the gospel. People were questioning whether he was a true apostle, uh, a person who's been sent with immediate divine authority, and whether his message was true and right. Now, last week, Pastor Chris started the series uh, showing us that Paul, who originally preached 
the gospel to the churches in Galatia, was astonished that the Galatians so quickly turned to a different gospel from the one in which he had preached, which he said was not a gospel at all. In our verses for today, we see that Paul is on the defense right away. They're accusing him of all kinds of things, and he's having none of it. We pick it up in verse 10. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul wants to make it clear that he is not a people pleaser. People pleasers listen to outside voices and Paul is not doing that. Paul says, I am a servant of Christ. I am not a people pleaser. I listen to the inner voice of my convictions. And then he continues, For I want you, brothers and sisters, to know that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. See, These new teachers are accusing him of making up his gospel. They're accusing him of borrowing from other sources for his gospel. They're even accusing him of of skewing the teachings of the headquarters, Jerusalem. And Paul answers these accusations boldly and simply. I didn't make this up. I didn't hear the gospel from other people. And I certainly didn't go to the headquarters for this gospel. This gospel that I preach is not of human origin. The gospel I preach to you came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is Paul's defense. Quite a bold claim. But of course, there's the small problem of anyone could make the same claim that they received this from Christ. So how can this be? Paul then goes on to tell his story of how God made him do a 180 degree turn. God turned him around. And that that is really what the heart of these verses for today are all about. Paul says in uh, verse 13 through 16, You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and I was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my uh, people of my same age, for I was more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But, but God, who had set me apart before I was born, called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. The thing that makes Paul's gospel legit is the great reversal in his life. The great reversal from persecutor to preacher. Paul's accusers in Galatia accused him of preaching Christianity light. They accused him of watering down the faith, of making Christianity easy by saying it was Christ alone and not all these other things. Yes, what Paul said is true, they said, but his gospel is incomplete and it falls short of the high standards set for God's followers. See, this different gospel that was being preached uh, in Galatia required strict adherence to various laws. 
Uh, in the book of Galatians, we'll see that Paul mentions some of these uh, that were required. Observance uh, to the Mosaic law, observance of Jewish festivals, observance of kosher food laws, and new converts had to be circumcised. Paul answers all their accusations with, Check! I did all of these things. All these strict laws that you require people to adhere to. I, I did all of that. I was a religious fanatic. In fact, Christianity light was exactly what Paul was so furious about. He persecuted these Christian Jews because they were making the gospel, the faith, easy. They accepted the teachings of this criminal Jesus who thought of himself as the Messiah and preached love and ended up crucified by the Roman authorities. Paul saw the danger of the slippery slope of opening the gospel to all people like this Jesus followers did without requiring adherence to the strict Jewish laws. These Jesus followers who claim uh, that observance of these laws were not essential for salvation were watering down the faith and these were the people that Paul went after. No wonder so many people were turning to this new faith and becoming Christian. Gentiles, that is anybody who is not Jewish, they don't have room in our religion unless they do these things. Pre-converted Paul, Saul, pre-converted Paul said, this teaching that love was the only requirement to be saved, it was heresy. He saw the danger in Christianity light and did all he could to eliminate it, even by violent means. And so now post-conversion Paul defends the gospel by stating that it is not of human origin, but it is of God. And the most powerful argument in support of this was this 180 degree turn that God did on Paul. The persuasive argument of Paul's authority as an apostle is that the very thing that he looked to destroy was the very thing that he became the most passionate advocate for. So-called Christianity light for Paul was now the very thing that became in Christ alone. That is really what his defense of the gospel is all about. When he's saying his gospel is not of human origin, he's saying it's because my story is witness to this fact that it is from God alone and not from human origin. That is what this defense is all about. A violent aggressor becoming the champion for God's indiscriminate love. Go argue with that, Paul says. The amazing thing is that today we worship primarily because of Paul and he's preaching of the gospel. Paul insists that the gospel is not of human origin because the gospel was and is God's immediate word. The word God speaks in the present moment. The gospel is an event, not a tradition. The gospel is the event of Jesus who was and is and is to come. What is at stake in these accusations against Paul's preaching is the very heart of the gospel. The gospel's origin is and remains in Jesus, not with any church group wherever located. 
Tradition is restrictive and narrow and whitewashed. The gospel is liberating and broadening, freedom in full color. And Paul's story was at first about the power of institution, but then through Christ and his conversion, his story became about the power of inspiration. He moved because of God's working his life from the power of institution to the power of inspiration. His story was the witness that the gospel is an event not tradition. And Paul goes on to say, God was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. This is done in the power of the Spirit, which Paul makes clear is not some intellectual preoccupation or religious pious thing. It is not about laws and festivals and kosher food and circumcision. This preaching of the gospel is shown in the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and faithfulness. The gospel is not an opiate for the people, but an adrenaline for mission. The gospel moved Paul beyond the bounds of his Jewish heritage into the world around him. The gospel expanded. The gospel is not exclusive. It is for all people. When the churches in Galatia were were pushing Paul about this, that, or the other and accusing him, the very heart of the gospel was at stake. And so Paul defended his authority as a matter of life and death. He defended himself not for personal gain. He defended inclusivity. He defended compassion. He defended justice. He defended hospitality. He defended God's indiscriminate love. That is what you do when authority is questioned. So there I was in the elders room in the Orange Grove Seventh-day Adventist Church in Johannesburg, ready to preach my exciting interactive sermon about the hospitality of God where we set up our sanctuary to be like an, a Hebrew temple with all with string, strings spun across uh, the, the church and these levels of exclusion. The organist started playing the prelude, but all I could hear was the chattering and the commotion of people tense and ang- anxious about what's happening. Peter, the head elder, came in to check on me, and I could see the concern in his face, and I thought to myself, Maybe I should just give up on this idea that I was so passionate about. People were clearly questioning my decision to experiment with the worship service. It was just Peter and I uh, in the elders room now, and we talked for a couple of minutes. And he asked me about what my hopes were for this interactive sermon. So you're going to understand better. And so I defended my decision to go through with this interactive sermon. You see... I explained to Peter, uh, our context was the year 2000, uh, just a few years after the new South Africa experience, first democratic South Africa. Apartheid had been abolished in 1994, and under the leadership of then-President Nelson Mandela, the country was hopefully forging ahead. I came to this church as a young, white, privileged male pastor, but it was a beautiful congregation. About a third of the congregation was white and wealthy. 
Another third of the congregation was Indian and poor, and a third of the congregation was black, poor immigrants from the north. It certainly uh, was this mixing pot of all different kinds of cultures. It was a new South Africa kind of church. But you see, three and a half centuries of systemic racism were not easy things to move past. And even though things were hopeful in South Africa at that time, even in our small congregation, there was a lot of learning and unlearning to do. My theological training had opened my eyes to the sins of the past, to the sins of our church and the sins of racism, but it also opened my eyes to to the other-affirming, self-sacrificing, community-forming love of God. The gospel compels us to break down all barriers, especially in the church, and we need to lean into that conversation. This is what I said to our head elder, Peter. And when he heard my heart, he said, I stand with you. And I realized that his concern was not so much for the protocols and traditions of worship, but it was for me. He prayed with me and he went out to make an announcement to the congregation. I didn't hear what the announcement was, but I could hear that it was very pastoral and he smoothed the way for the service to start. The opening doxology, the scripture reading, the prayer, the hymns, It felt like eternity to me. People were restless in their pews. There was rustling going about. People were confused because families were scattered at different places. The youth, the Gentiles, were having a ball at the back, making noise. That was interrupting worship. The singing was awful. It was terrible. People with drowsy faces all over the place. There was tension filled in the room. The service felt so slow. I don't recall how the first part of the sermon went when it started. I must have blocked it from my memories. Uh, I must have just powered through to get to the good part. I explained to the congregation how the temple structure was uh, exclusionary and how it became progressively more exclusive. We went through the whole thing. Uh, and Gentiles, hey youth, you're at the back in the court of women and wherever you are seated today, that is kind of how it went when you came to uh, the Hebrew temple. And so I asked the question, how does it feel to sit where you have been designated to sit today? How does it feel to get a card that tells you who you are and where you need to sit? And the response was loud and clear. We don't like it. We were experiencing the divisions of narrow religious traditions. Interactive sermon. Then came the moment that I'll never, never forget. Took the Bible and read from the book of Hebrews where it says the following. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. For just as the temple veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. And as I read those verses, I had the Gentile youth uh, from the back of the congregation shout something. I forget what they shouted. Maybe it was like, freedom! (laughs) And I gave them scissors so that they could cut the strings that were these barriers that that we had fabricated in our sanctuary. And so there was screaming and, and, and cutting of these strings. It was quite a commotion. It was awesome. And then, then I announced with confidence that everyone in Christ can move forward and sit 
wherever they want. And oh, did God smile upon us in that moment. The tension in the sanctuary lifted immediately. People were cheering and clapping, not something you do in a South African church at that time. Uh, and all the tension in my body just released. People were hugging and they were laughing and they were moving to their familiar places. Ah, it was a beautiful, beautiful sight. A small congregation in post-apartheid South Africa, experiencing the gospel, not as tradition, but experiencing the gospel as an event of indiscriminate love. The gospel of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone of Paul's teaching. Jesus is the sure foundation of the gospel. For this gospel, Paul will give his life. Amen.